Welcome everyone to Imperfect Leaders. We invite the country's most powerful leaders and ask them to be totally vulnerable and share their wisdom, their life lessons, and their practical advice. If you want to join our community of imperfect leaders and are truly committed to continuously leveling up your leadership skills, check us out at www.imperfectleaders.com. Until then, sit back and enjoy today's show. On July 21st, 2021, college athletics was changed forever. The Supreme Court decided unanimously that college athletes could now earn money while in school, profiting from their name, image, and likeness. Two incredible entrepreneurs and former college athletes themselves, Blake Lawrence and Adi Kunalich, were ready to help athletes all over their country through their startup venture Open Doors take advantage of this new NCAA rule change. Open Doors has since emerged as the clear leader in the space, kind of like an Airbnb for athletes. You're gonna love Blake and Adi's story. And let's start off the conversation with their very first client, a former teammate, Prince Amikumara, who was drafted by the New York Giants in the first round of the NFL draft and immediately turned to Blake and Adi for their advice. Uh, Prince gets drafted and uh, overnight, his following went from 10 to 15,000 followers to a hundred thousand followers. And uh, Blake and I had started our first company in college. Uh, it was a social media agency and uh, we were really sur- solving the problem of, of helping people do social who didn't have the time resources or knowledge to do it. And so Blake and I were kind of had this sort of brand within the team that was, we're the social media guys. We're like the Twitter guys. And uh, so Prince, of course, being a buddy, he's in, he's now in the NFL. What does he do? He calls his friends who understand social media and says, hey, help me understand. <laughs> who, like, who should I work with? I'm getting all these DMs and everyone wants to pay me this, but they, do, they don't really want me to do this. Uh, what should I say yes to? Um, how much should I charge? Uh, how do I make sure that I deliver on all these commitments? And so uh, Blake and I were sitting there and we're like, okay, this is not a problem that only Prince has. There's a lot of our teammates that actually have this problem and it, and there really wasn't anything in the market to try to address it. And sort of the inspiration then came to be for, for building something like Open Doors because we wanted to be that connectivity that brands have um, and, and marketers have to, to athletes and to just help form relationships, but do it all in a very compliant, safe way uh, using technology. And so there was uh, Open Doors born in that. So so you get this huge success story right out of the gate. But how do you then replicate that success? How do you get other athletes to notice what you guys have done and trust you guys are the safe place to go to? You know, one of the great things about endorsements is they're they're public. I mean, this is something that if you see an athlete uh, making money through social media promotions or on a billboard or in a commercial shoot, uh, you know, that is naturally going to have their teammates ask, how'd you get that deal? Who got that thing for you? And and so what Prince did, he started saying, hey, I just use this thing called Open Doors, you know, sign up. And then his agent found out about it and invited some of the, the stars at the time in the NFL, like Golden Tate and Eric Decker. And uh, and then we got a phone call out of, out of nowhere um, from the NFL Players Association. This is in 2013. So less than a year after we started the company and uh, they flew us out to DC and said, Hey, we've got an opportunity here. We've got 2000 players in the NFL. All of them are, are asking for easier ways to make money while they're in the league. Um, we keep hearing about this open door saying, would you 
consider being a partner of ours and helping every NFL player. Mm. And, you know, in those moments, Audie and I look at each other and say, yeah, we would, we would be okay with that. And uh, so it was a very... How did you feel when they said that? I mean, was it like, uh, hell yes, where, where do we sign? Yeah, well, yeah, in, in the room, you say, hell yes. And then once you leave the room, you figure out, uh, you know, how the hell are we going to do this? But yeah. it was a uh, definitely a, a very fortunate moment in our journey, you know, to have trust from the leading players association on the planet, uh, to believe in the vision and the technology and the team and make that commitment to that partnership. And we're, you know, a decade later partners with NFLPA and that's grown to MLBPA, NHLPA, PGA Tour, LPGA, Team USA, every national governing body. So, you know, we proved the value with that first partnership and, and even with that first athlete. And if you provide value, uh, that you promise and you do it consistently, then you will be referred to others. And that's been the story of the growth of Open Doors. So you said, hell yeah, in private, and then you had to deliver. So what were some of the obstacles that you guys faced, you know, early on as you're trying to scale up this business? Uh, I would say that the one component that is true about Open Doors, and um, and I'm we're fortunate that this is the case, is that our vision for helping every athlete and and really uh, it stayed the same. We put the athlete at the center. And uh, when, you know, along the 10 year journey that we've had, Jeff, there's been companies that have entered the market, uh, we would compete with them, and then they kind of fizzle out. And I think one of the things that they would focus on, and rightfully so, is they would build technology for their customer, they would speak to their customer, everything was about the customer, the person that is spending the money. And uh, we were sort of in a, in a, I think it's maybe because we were both former athletes, and we were both trying to serve really our friends first and our teammates first, and then sort of uh, the the kind of scale there. And because we kept the athlete at the center, and it wasn't always easy, right? Tons of uh, opposition, people thinking that you're trying to kind of cut someone out, and da, 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 right? That that's true and all, but we we held true to what we were uh, motivated by, what we believed in, and uh, what's cool about it then that, that you're still we're still able to kind of fulfill that uh, that initial vision that we had 10 years ago. We're still able to do it at scale today. You said a, a lot of things that are so interesting, but first, what problem exactly were you trying to solve for the athlete? And are you still trying to solve for the athlete? Yeah. Um, a- athletes are some of the most influential individuals in society and no matter which culture across the country, across the planet, um, athletes are influential and uh, they're often influential because they run fast, jump high and win for the team that we love. And in the world of social media, digital media, they're becoming, their influence is now quantified. They have an online personality, persona and a following that a lot of their fans and a lot of brands expect them to act like a Kardashian or a creator and and be you know making money hand over fist by promoting products on social media, uh, by monetizing podcasts, things like that. But if you peel back the, you know, one step deeper into this, you realize that athletes are not natural marketers. They're not natural creators. And they make money by focusing on their field of play, not not their phone or social media feed. And so there's an opportunity here for every athlete to make money by using the same technology and tools that other creators use. But uh, it has to be built for them for a lifestyle that 
consists of waking up early, practicing three times a day, working out twice a day, watching what they eat, working with their family uh, and their community and their teammates. So there's for for most people that are using technology to make money as an individual online, it is their full-time job, right? Mm -hmm. For an athlete, this is 10% of their, their even their time, or maybe 1% in the middle of the season. So the problem that we solve is that we help athletes monetize their influence, you know, in the same way as other individuals in any other industry, uh, in a very small time frame, right? In a way that's very simple and easy for them. So they can stay focused on their field, not their phone or their feed, but still make money like everyone else in today's society. How should these really busy, successful athletes evaluate different platforms? And Adi, you said there have been several that had come along, but maybe focused on the the customer, not the athlete, and that's why they failed. I mean, why is that? Why Open Doors is the best, and you know how, how do how should the athlete actually evaluate the different platforms? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, uh, what we encourage athletes to do, maybe this is more of our philosophy that I'm going to share, Jeff, is that you should explore everything. Right. You shouldn't just download open doors. This isn't like, oh, my God, if you don't only have us, you're not going to win. It's like, no, you should explore everything. You should use everything. You should be everywhere. You should listen to everyone. And then you should start to kind of narrow your scope on where you're getting the most value, uh, what that means for you, how easy it is for you to use, and then double down on that. So it's like there is really not um, we obviously are going to be a little bit uh, uh, biased in, in, in our feeling of, of what we have to offer and whatnot. And, and we feel that we have a really great solution for athletes. And there's also the, the acknowledgement that there are some things that we're still growing to fix or, or improve upon or build um, because of just how vast the ecosystem is that we want to serve. So um, that's where we're going. And we welcome all athletes to sign up for Open Doors. Um, but, but there's definitely not this moment where we're like, man, you, you better only have open doors. Cause it's, that's just not really how you want to approach anything. And it's never been a philosophy that we've had, uh, about everything we're trying to build. And, and I know compliance and trust is a big deal in this newly emerging industry and ecosystem. And, uh, you know, what is your role open doors role in really, uh, helping to ensure that the overall ecosystem grows and flourishes and the people trust this NIL. Yeah. So NIL name, image, and likeness has become synonymous with college athletes getting paid for endorsements, uh, for licensing rights, for appearances, autograph signings, jersey sales, social media promotions. So that's this whole NIL industry. It's just become uh, synonymous with college athletes getting paid. And for the history of the NCAA, college athletes could not receive payment from third parties for use of their name, image, or likeness. That's the terminology from the NCAA guidebook. July 1st, 2021, the NCAA lifted all restrictions and said, hey, student athletes can now make money from use of their name, image, and likeness. There are four rules. Number one, the schools can't pay the kid. Number two, the payment cannot be contingent on enrollment. So this can't be an inducement to stay or leave a school or go to a certain school. Uh, three, the, the compensation for NIL cannot be contingent on sports performance. So this can't be you get a thousand bucks for every point you score in a basketball game. That's not how this works. And then the fourth one is there must be quid pro quo proof that you perform the service that you're getting paid to do. Those are the four rules. Uh, states have different rules. Schools can add on different policies, but those are the basics. 
So in this world, the student athlete is thrust into uh, becoming their own business overnight. So you've got 18 year old student athletes that are going to practice in the morning, going to study hall at night. And then when they got an hour before they go to bed, they're open up the open doors app. They're applying for opportunities. They're recording video shout outs for fans. And they have to make sure every dollar they're getting is following those four rules. And to do that, they have to, to keep track of who's paying them, what they're paying them for, disclose those activities to their school who can review and make sure that they're following the rules so uh, they don't have to report them for a violation of these policies. So mm -hmm. there's a, a every student athlete across the country, there's 500,000 student athletes uh, in, in America, right? There's about 5,000 pro athletes in America that move the needle with endorsements, right? So we're talking about the NIL industry is, is big. It's everywhere because it's a hundred times bigger. It's impacting a hundred times more people. And these individuals are also um, busy with a lot more other things than those 5,000 pro athletes ever will be. So Open Doors helps those athletes monetize NIL while following those four rules the NSA put in place. Um, it, it's transforming college sports. It's transforming the, the student athlete experience and you know, we're here right in the center, making sure athletes are making the most of it while following the rules. Uh, so interesting, not only from an opportunity for the athletes to make money, but really to learn uh, and learn about business and learn about even leadership and compliance, right? And so what is your role, Open Doors philosophy and role of education when it comes to your relationship with these athletes? I think we're all familiar, or at least maybe this is an, a known thing, but it's like we all know that we learn through actual exposure of, of doing something ourselves, right? You can read a bunch of books, uh, you can read a ton of blogs, people can tell you, but when you're doing the work yourself, that's when the real, like, that's the edge of learning. That's when you're actually able to apply all the things that you're doing. Yeah. Odds, it's kind of like the film room, right? I mean, nobody wins games watching film. You got to go practice and go play, right? That's right. That's right. And so we we have basically what we've done uh, and, and why NIL has been great for us is that um, we've been doing this for so long, Jeff, <laughs> right? Helping yeah. athletes with connect with brands, build campaigns, uh, make money, monetize, build like all and that. And doing it for yourself even before you helped others, yeah. right? That's right. And we're, That's we great. are the example. Like we, we were entrepreneurs while student athletes, you know, and so, yeah, we're speaking from true experience ourselves right that's right and so it was so so it was pretty easy and and i would say it's almost like uh organic right for us to sit there and say hey when we rolled out we so we were the first company uh to roll out uh our what we called our ready program right we signed our first deal and this was like pre like i mean 2020 right um and uh the, the ready program was nil education mm -hmm. and what we really focused on there jeff was packaging this this 10 year experience that we've had as entrepreneurs, as former student athletes working in the pro space, all of the connectivity that we've had with the NFLPA and the PGA Tour, like understanding how how all of these things work into education sessions, into financial literacy and bringing in experts from Snapchat, from Meta, like all of our partners that like we've just come to know and become friends with over the years. We're like, hey, why don't you talk to the experts? Because these guys know exactly what you need to know and what you should do and how to encourage you to pursue certain things. And so it was very, uh, uh, again, that that progression of us rolling out education and making that uh, something that is uh, unique and it's meaningful and it's impactful for student athletes. It was it was just like a very natural transition for us to uh, evolve into our offering. And uh, and schools love it. Right. Because 
it, it, this is new for them too, right? Uh, athletic directors probably two or three years ago, they're like, wait, what's going to happen? <laughs> How is this going to impact my athletic department? What am I going to do? Um, and so it's been fun to be on that side to bring uh, a new level of expertise uh, and, and really not from a, uh, it's coming from a place of knowledge and uh, institutional knowledge and and true um, uh, experience of doing this and then just applying it to uh, the collegiate uh, athletics and whatnot. So it's been really fun. It's been cool to see uh, student athletes engage with with uh, a lot of our content, a lot of our master classes that we that we uh, uh, have pushed out, and our team has very much embraced it. And uh, we we've we've had a lot of fun kind of yeah. building the company around this this concept. And the name of the podcast is Imperfect Leaders, and that's because there's no such thing as a perfect leader. So I love the concept, you know, of of the master classes and the mentoring. I mean, what's an example? You mentioned Meta or any partner that's come in to help mentor some of the athletes on the platform, because I got to believe that that's not only really appealing to the athletic directors and the schools, uh, but to the athletes themselves and to their mothers. Hey, the most important person, right? So what's an example of how that may work, you know, where someone comes in to mentor or conduct a masterclass for your athletes? One of the things we just announced last week was a, a partnership with U.S. Bank, a, a program called Financial Fitness. And I think this is a, a full circle story for you. Uh, Jeff, it, and when Adi and I started our first company um, while still in college and, and pretty much you know right there on campus in Nebraska, uh, we had to have a business bank account, right? So I walked from campus, I walked about five blocks south to a place called U.S. Bank. And I walked in and I went up to a teller and I said, I, I want to open a business account because I'm starting a company, you know, <laughs> and I'm 20 years old. I, and I remember I had no credit history, nothing at all. And um, after conversations with a few folks in the bank, they they open up a bank account, and I were ready to actually have a business. Um, but that experience was one that Audi and I were probably one of ten student athletes in the country that had to figure that out back in 2010. Today, there are 500,000 student athletes that have to find a way to have a, a bank account dedicated to their NIL business, and so. In a full circle way, U.S. Bank, you know, has created a, a course where it's it's bite-sized pieces of content, three-minute clips about what it means to have a, a business account uh, versus a personal account, checking versus savings, like how to how to manage money, what are taxes. Um, so you can imagine that what's quite revealing for us in terms of the first you know year of NIL is that many of the student athletes that sports fans cheer for across the country come from unbanked communities. Mm -hmm. um, they have dedicated their entire life up until they're 18 years old to sports. So many of them have never received a dollar. They've, they've never made money. Um, so they don't have bank accounts. They've never had a history of income. Um, and they certainly don't know what taxes are. So those are the things that, you know, we're focused a lot on financial literacy because we're, you know, introducing tens of thousands of athletes a month to the world of commerce. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I interview a lot of CEOs, uh, you know, very influential um, CEOs that love sports. And I could imagine that they would talk about some aspect of leadership or soft skills, you know, like emotional intelligence or resilience or judgment and have some sort of, you know, masterclass or focus group where there's some sort of discussion amongst, you know, the different athletes and them sharing experiences. 
of what it was like when, you know, I had a failure and how did I bounce back and how does that apply to business? I mean, is that something that you guys also work on with your athletes or provide as a service because you're so athlete centric? What we know is that we want to provide exposure to student athletes in all kinds of different ways, right? There's going to be new things that are going to roll out at all times. And we're trying to just figure out the best way to, to package a lot of that stuff. And, and I think that's where, again, the, the special, the magic happens and, and, and that's where the athletes engage, right? That's, that's how you, uh, uh, you know, meet with a hundred athletes and they're not sitting there on their phone bored. No, they're like, my, this is cool. There's money. This is endorsements. This is exciting. This is cool. This is about me. This is about ways that I can uh, elevate my understanding and, and and really prepare myself for life after sports. So that that all that stuff has been uh, has been really fun to to get to get a chance to work on. How did competitive sports help you guys become better at business and better at leadership? Uh, teamwork, discipline, commitment, uh, camaraderie, like. You have to get back up, right? That is one thing for entrepreneurship. Um, it, you do not win every game, right? And in fact, you, you you cannot win the Super Bowl in September. You just don't. You don't win the Super Bowl in the summer. Like you win the Super Bowl by practicing in the summer, working your tails off in September, losing a couple games, getting back up and fighting and winning. And you know, so, so the Rams still have a chance. <laughs> the Rams certainly have a chance, right? And um, but, but that that, that, uh, that concept of you know, like getting up and you're going to fail. I mean, is resilience a big deal in in business as well as sports? Yes, one hundred percent. And I, you know, to add to what Blake is saying, I think the uh, one of the most common traits, if I had to think back to uh, our playing football days, is that uh, when you are playing competitively, certainly in college and even in high school, right? But uh, there's a common goal that the entire team is oriented around, right? So it doesn't matter where you're from, where you grew up, what you speak, what you look like. Everyone is like, hey, this is, <laughs> we are pursuing the same goal and we are going to practice towards the same goal. You win together, you lose together. So you have the perfect mixture of of sort of challenges, losses, wins, camaraderie, teamwork, stepping up, you know, and 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 you are everyone in that team is a fundamental part, right? You see how you're all connected to it. And that's, I think, what, what makes it special. But I think one of the things for individuals as far as like your professional life and, and outlook is, I think uh, former student athletes who get into entrepreneurship or just, again, have really successful careers working for companies, right? You can do that too. You don't have to be an entrepreneur, but is, um, is the uh, ability to have a very short-term memory, right? So, what happens is in a football game, uh, let's say you're playing defense. Blake was a linebacker um, and uh, he didn't play that much, but he was a linebacker. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, he was a kicker. So it, it was like, obviously I didn't play at all. I, I was just on the <laughs> sidelines. Well, my claim to fame, I told Adi earlier, uh, I was the most valuable player on my basketball team, but that was only because it was a Jewish community center and I was the only player over six feet tall. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, no, but I, and, and that's, that, I think Jeff, that's what's uh, uh, again, going back to the, when you are um, running a play and let's say someone scores a touchdown on you, or you have a bad tackle or whatever it is, you, you literally don't have time to think about what just happened. You're just going, you're li playing the next play. And I think you do that, that repetition of just, Hey, just next game, right. Or next play, next game, next, uh, next quarter. Yeah. 
that sets you up to be able to fail and, and really quickly just jump back up, right? And so I think that how that translates in your professional life is that you don't sit there and dwell on, oh my God, why did this happen to me? Or why did this happen to us? Or who, who, who's, who's to blame here? Or whose fault is this? Like short-term memory. You're just like, well, I got to go do the next thing. And so you can keep getting hit and you can keep having uh, negative things happen or, or you know, the people that you're competing with, but you continue to just, to just progress forward because that's all you know and that's the way that you're wired. So I think that is one of the, the probably the best parts and resilience is a great way to capture it. But it's like, it's one of the biggest, I would say, traits that you kind of uh, get to really keep and, and kind of grow into as you, as you translate into uh, your uh, career. Isn't that easier said than done, though? I mean, even in business um, or in, in on, the, on the field, you know, it's really hard and it hurts when you lose. And it's really hard in business when you don't get that big deal or you don't sign the athlete that you want to or somebody walks away. I mean, how do you really bounce back from that from a psychological or a morale point of view? I would say that going back to our time as football players in Nebraska, you know, if I missed a tackle or Audie, you know, miss hit a kickoff. Uh, there are 10 other people on the field that pick you up and say, let's get the next one. So in business, it's really important to have somebody beside you that's going to pick you up and you pick them up and you keep pushing through. And, uh, you know, especially as startup founders, like having a co-founder that's right there with you, Audie and I have been blessed to know each other for a, a long time, work together and, and really be together every day since our first day meeting at Nebraska until this podcast today. Like we spend every day together and he has good days uh, and bad days. I got good days and bad days, but we pick each other up. So easier said than done. Putting all the weight on your shoulders as a leader, as a founder is, is a challenge. Um, putting weight on your shoulders as a anyone in business is tough. But if you have a team around you that can pick you up, you pick them up. I think that's what makes um, great businesses, great and great leaders, even better is when they feel the support of those around them. And I love your all's leadership structure, sort of co-leaders, which I think is phenomenal, especially given your relationship. But was it hard for you guys to transition from a player to a coach, you know, being the ultimate leaders now of this company and, you know, really instilling that culture that your coaches over the years had instilled in your teams. But now all of a sudden, instead of a player, you're the coach, you're the leader. That's a, that's a really good question. Like, I don't know if it was really tough. Um, Blake and I probably have a little bit different uh, leadership styles, right? Um, he's, and what are those styles? Yeah. Uh, Blake's probably way more, he is, not not probably. He's way more of your visionary, kind of lead by example. Uh, he's going to bring the energy. It's always there, optimistic um, and and sort of uh, uh, undeniable, right? Like he's, it's just going to happen. And so- Uh-oh, yeah. if, if you're opposite, that means you're the pain in the ass. And but no, Adi, <laughs> see, then I'll, I'll do this for Adi. So Adi uh, makes everything happen, right? So there, there's, you have to have a, a balance of the vision and the execution. And Adi is an executor and he's going to help everyone understand how all the pieces come together. And so it's, but it's a driving force towards that same aligned vision that he and I have together for the industry, for our company, for the people on our team. So goals and aggregate, but individualized focus. And Adi does the individualization, like to make sure that each person knows where they fit into the puzzle that is the company that we've built. So that's the balance of our two leadership styles, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and there's there's a, one thing I'll add to that too, Jeff, is that there is a, we got really lucky in that uh, what Blake said, like 
we have such opposite strengths. Um, and so uh, they really work well together. The, the, the things that we learned early on is like, we, we share the same ambitions. So we're very big picture, like, hey, we want to go and, and, and do something big. That's important, right? If one of us was like, I kind of want to do more of the lifestyle thing, that would be really tough, right? Because you have a person that's trying to break through every ceiling and you have one person that's like, I'm scared, right? Like, or I just want to kind of coast. And so I think we both had the same ambitions. Uh, we're both competitive, uh, but but we're really good at sort of, uh, uh, you know, supporting each other in that and having fun with it. Um, but then the opposite strengths is what's great, right? Because we're not trying to pursue the same challenges in the business on a daily basis. If there is something, for example, if I just a apply like a, a, if there's a project where it's like, hey, we need to come up with a, a, a new business model or a new proposal and just here's a whiteboard write it up. You got two hours. Blake loves that. He doesn't need a lot of uh, uh, inspiration. It's going to come from his head, but it's going to just, he's just going to make it up. And it might not be the, the the right thing or it might, might not be the perfect thing, but you will have something in two hours. Right. Um, whereas for me, if it's something like, Hey, Adi, here's a bunch of, here's chaos, this department, this process, these people, they're not getting along. This is not working. This strategy is completely broken. We can't we can't figure out what's going on. I love that. I'm like, give it to me. I want to figure it out. I want to organize it. I want to reset it. I want to uh, 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 you know build it up again. Like I just love that organization, the chaos, turning it into execution. I want to measure it. And so that's a really good complementary way to have co-founders work together because you want to pursue different things, but you both have respect for what the other person is doing because you're like, hey. Hey, give me a whiteboard. I can do that. I can have fun with that, but it's not my net. Like I will have to work a little bit harder or I will have to work extra hard sometimes to even try to do what you do just naturally. No one agrees all the time. What happens when you guys have a disagreement? You know, what's fun about it is it Adi talked earlier about the athlete background, the short-term memory, like this is a team, right? And and when you are on a team, there's a scoreboard. And when you're on a team, you've got a role to play. And when you're on a team, sometimes you got to motivate uh, somebody um, and, and get them up off, off their, their tail um, and focus and, and head in the right direction. So uh, I think that we coach each other, mm -hmm. right? From a, a point of um, you as athletes, Audi and I would get roasted, grilled, like just pulled over, ripped by the face masks, you know, and, and just hollered at. Um, and every moment of that experience being coached made us better. Mm. So there is no fear here of criticism because no one I've ever met and has gotten better by coasting or never being criticized or uh, even, you know, leading others without being critical of, of what the expectations are. So, but um, it doesn't seem like it's your leadership style to grab your teammates by the mask. I mean, it feels like you've sort of created this, you know, psychologically safe space to give feedback, to criticize, but all in the, you know, the effort to get better and to win. This is why it's crucial. So if I have to take a step back, one thing that Blake and I are blessed with is we have a fantastic leadership team mm -hmm. that we have uh, handpicked over time uh, and, uh, and and taken a lot of time to to make sure that we align ourselves with the right people. And what happens is when you have a leadership team and uh, and people that you can rely on, that you trust, and you can depend on, a lot of times 
uh, those people have a very high standard for themselves already, Mm -hmm. right? So they're not showing up where they, they maybe don't see their blind spots or they don't, they're not ambitious and whatnot. No, 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 no. Like they're, they are uh, excellent leaders. They uh, uh, excellent operators, contributors, like their standard for themselves is already so high that every now and then, of course, you're going to have to have a difficult conversation and we all have to do that, right? Everyone has to do that. But I think um, uh, we're, we're, again, the magic happens on a leadership team is when you know that each person, they probably are having a even more difficult conversation with themselves Mm-hmm. Um, about how to show up and and the areas that they need to improve on, and so uh, it's it's pretty special. And I, I would say, like our leadership team now today, that the folks that we have on, they are special, and and it's it's one of the core reasons that we've been able to uh, have success, and also that we have confidence about where we're going, right? Because things are not always uh, butterflies and rainbows. Like that's just like that's just what's being a building a company or a startup or any, it is one of the most difficult things in the world. Like everyone, I'm sure you've talked to every CEO and founder uh, you can. And, and like, if you, the underpinning there is like, it is one of the most challenging, excruciating, difficult, most rewarding things you can do, but it is a lot of pain. And, and so the bond that you have with the people around you, the quality of those people, their integrity, their energy, how they show up, that is what, gives you a lot of confidence um, into really taking on anything. And so when you get to that day where you're like, oh, we'll take on anything, then nothing matters, right? It's like, wait, throw anything at us. This can happen. This can happen. We'll figure it out. And uh, that's a really cool, cool place to be. And in, in the self-awareness, I had um, Stan Van Gundy on the show once, and he was talking about coaching J.J. Reddick. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, and we were talking about giving feedback. And you know, he's such a perfectionist. He doesn't want to hear, oh, good game, even though you lost. He wants to hear, what can I do better at the margins to hit that shot at the last second, you know, you know, when I'm fading away? Give me some feedback. And it sounds like the self-awareness with the mix of continuous improvement, with getting feedback, you know, that those are the sort of leadership qualities that you guys have looked for and have succeeded. And because a startup is so hard, and you run into so many troubles. Are you guys kind of saying that that's advice for all startups, really, to get that kind of a team with those, you know, with the right values for their culture? I, I certainly. You, you you mentioned one key word there, and that's that's values, right? And, and that's something that Open Doors, you know, for uh, everyone that joins our team has to fit our core values, and the core values is really what we expect of one another, and and. Our three core values at Open Doors are uh, no excuses, just results. We are all in and be a humble salve. And, and that is a, a, a word where you just want to just be, be humble, but work your tail off. And um, so if somebody's going to interview at Open Doors, they're going to fit those core values. If they don't, they're, we, they don't get on the team. And then what happens if the they're team, a superstar and they come up sh- just a little short on the core values? Will you take a pass? Yes. Uh, we, yeah, and and we've tried we've tried to squeeze in superstars that don't fit values in the past, and they've been disruptive to the entire team. So uh, it is okay to kick people off your team that don't fit your core values, even if they produce. I just would say that to any founder entrepreneur, it's hard to do, but when you're on the other side of it, gosh, it is a a big relief of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, what brings down great potential companies are people that don't fit the values of the company. And mm-hmm. that can be the founders sometimes, but I, I think that Audie and I have been a part of um, 
you know, looking at one another and say, those are our, our same core values and it, it exudes throughout our team. In, in a sense, I know that you guys are based in Nebraska. I mean, do you guys have sort of good old fashioned Midwestern values? And if so, where do those come from? Your core values are who you are as a person in, in your most natural state, right? It's not, I, you know, you can't have aspirational core values, aspirational, like right. it's what you want to be. It's, it's just who you are. So mm-hmm. it has to be inherent to you. So that's why it's very much a, they either are or not. If they're not, we can't have them here. It doesn't make sense, right? Because if they're trying to pretend to be something to get the job, or they're trying to pretend something in the first six months of work, eventually they will default back to who they really are. Yeah. And that's where some of the dangerous things happen and they impact the whole team. But how you come up with your core values, it's actually part of the uh, uh, this um, operating model or system that we use called uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS. And the exercise that they have you do is when you're a small company, say you have 10, 15, 20 people uh, as a leadership team, your, your founders and maybe two other people, you look at kind of uh, 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 the rest of your crew and you say, hey, who on your team do you love the most for how they show up, who they are, and, and, and just like, again, their natural state and why? And so everybody sits down and we write all these qualities down. And what they are is they're representations of, of all the things that we're, we just organically are. And then you consolidate that and you turn that into values and words that are reflective of the company that you want to be and are in that moment. And then as you grow, you just make sure that it's, it, you know, sometimes they evolve a little bit. But for the most part, they're so true because they're inherent to what the founders are in their natural state. And then what's cool about it, too, Jeff, is that people will sometimes self-identify themselves out of the business because they're like, I don't like any JR, which means no excuses, just results. If you're a person who doesn't take a lot of accountability or not are not used to having ownership you're like, I, I'm uncomfortable, man. You're asking me to own things on my own and make sure I deliver every time and not complain about it. That's tough. I need to be in a job where I don't have that kind of responsibility. And then it's like, hey, it's fine. Move on. It's cool. Like no hard feelings here. But it is such a core vital part if you're going to build a business to make sure those are fundamental. They're something that you believe in. Uh, they are something that you are. And then you build your entire company around them. We're going to ask you for the best three years of your life, and it, it, the reward um, will be there. And well, if you want to be here, three years, I just to get make sure that folks understand that 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 is. Um, if I said I want the best ten years of your life, some like that's a different thing. But if if you say I can I can see myself here for three, and once you're here for three, you're here for life. I mean that's something we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that uh, is a very simple way to get people to picture themselves. You can see yourself three years from now, 30 years from now, it's really hard to picture, mm-hmm. but we can, we can paint that picture for you. Well, so what are you guys going to look like three years from now and 30 years from now? I, I mean, if you look back uh, three years ago, open risk was a 20 person team, you know, all based in Lincoln, Nebraska. And today we have more than a hundred employees across, you know, 50 plus in, in Nebraska, 50 plus around the country. Um, so three years from now, 30 years from now, I mean, we'll be here help in every athlete if the team is tripled you know in that time uh, fantastic if it's the same size fantastic so so long as we're helping more athletes more often um then we'll be pursuing our vision in the right way and if we have great people around us then that's to win it's about continuing to make an impact on people's lives and that's our customers and our team
And the, and the reason I asked 30, and I'm not saying that tongue in cheek, but you guys have such strong core values, a great mission, a great team. So I'm, I'm assuming you're building this for long-term success and you want to be around for a while, even though that doesn't happen that much. I think um, the endorsement industry will look a lot more like open doors and what we do today, 10 years from now. And I'm not talking about just student athletes, but like the pro endorsement industry than it did where it was at five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Very fragmented, uh, uh, you know, tons of agents. And again, agents are a very big part of the ecosystem and they will always be there. But uh, we are giving power back to the athlete who maybe can't afford an agent or where there's there are just not enough agents available for them to, to we're, we're giving that power back to the athlete so that they can be their own agent, right? So they can make their own money. They can make their own decisions. Uh, with all of the education and all of the uh, sort of uh, professional experience so they can embrace that and have success in it and not feel like they're maybe not getting the, the full value of, of that entire experience. So I think that this, this, this transition of the old endorsement world of, of the 90s, uh, I want to do an ad, I'm Gatorade, I want to do an ad with Jordan. That's, you know, it's very one-to-one. One one. Uh, uh, it happens over uh, years and it, it's just one athlete one brand uh, kind of big impact. And I think there's going to be just a lot more brand exposure, a lot more athletes, a lot more scale. And, um, and are, it's are, all- are the, are the agencies afraid of you? Uh, I mean, are they partnering with you or do they think you're a non-entity? How do they feel? No, we help them as well. I mean, this is something that the athlete endorsement industry has had no technology for the hundred years it's existed. Agents are keeping track of endorsement deals in post notes and spreadsheets. They're signing contracts and shipping them out in FedEx labels, right? So like, like we're doing for the athlete endorsement industry, what Airbnb did for travel, what Etsy did for craft making, what Fiverr does for freelancers, what Zillow does for real estate. Like it, it is bringing an archaic industry that is, is, uh, disparate and challenge, you know, as it relates to technology into the future. And so that's why the staying power of this, like if you believe Zillow will be around in 30 years, right? Because of the foundation that they've built for that industry and they're helping for sale by home, uh, you know, owner, they're helping realtors, they're helping uh, local government, they're helping, you know, the industry advance and, and Open Doors is, is playing a similar role in the athlete endorsement space. So there's no enemy of Open Doors, right? Like, uh, the enemy of open doors is inefficiency in an industry that we love. And mm -hmm. so we're trying to tackle that inefficiency and, and with technology and advance it a little bit more every day. Right. And that's just, that's all we got to do. We got to be a little bit better every day. Um, and we've done that for a decade. We do it for the next two, three, uh, no, no limit to what we're going to be. Thanks for joining everyone to share your thoughts about this episode or questions for any of our guests. You may join our community of imperfect leaders striving for greatness at www.imperfectleaders.com. You'll then have access to all past episodes, special content, and invitation-only roundtables with the country's most successful leaders, business school professors, and executive coaches. See you next week, everyone.